Warmer, sunnier days are finally arriving. As outside is calling, Factor is here to make sure that however busy you get, your meals are taken care of, giving you all the energy and time to enjoy that weather. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and, oh yes, blackened salmon. Don't mind if I do. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine and give yourself time to focus on what makes you happy. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash danjones50 and use code danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code danjones50 at factormeals.com slash danjones50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Before we start, just a quick warning that this episode contains descriptions of violence or sexual content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Arms folded, the master engineer stands looking at Framlingham Castle. What to do? He has a team of his best labourers behind him, awaiting instructions. It's crucial they get this right. King Henry himself has sent them out here to Suffolk, several days' ride from London, where the engineer usually works. He wants the job done properly. And as everyone knows, you do not want to upset King Henry. So the engineer, whose name is Olnoth, has some important decisions to make. Like many of the older castles in England, Framlingham is built to a plan. There's a big mound, known as a mot, where long ago tons of earth was piled up to create a defensive hill. On top of that hill stands a great hall, a chapel and a clutch of other buildings. Some are made of timber and others of stone. The mot is defended by a ditch and an earthen wall that's bolstered by timber fencing and wooden guard towers standing at regular intervals. It's a decent construction, a bit old-fashioned maybe. Not a patch on some of Olnoth's recent masterpieces, like the work he's done for the King at the Tower of London, the Palace of Westminster or Windsor Castle. But not bad, all things considered. Olnoth allows himself a small sigh. Such a shame, he has to pull it down. But pull it down he must. His men are impatient to get to work, so he sets them doing what needs to be done. The timber can be dealt with easily enough. Burned if necessary, but if it's in good condition, it can be carted off for use on some other project. The stone? Well, that'll take a little longer. But a few teams of strong-shouldered men armed with picks, heavy hammers and crowbars should be able to get the job started at least. Ropes and oxen will be brought in to haul down roof joists and any really stubborn structures. As for the earthworks, some good old-fashioned digging will do. These old walls took days of sweat and toil to pile up, and that's what it'll take to level them back down again. It doesn't require brains, just brawn. Before long, Framlingham Castle 
home to the famous noble family known as the Bygoods, for more than a century, has become a demolition site. The air is alive with the crash of stone and splinter of timber, the heaving and straining of hard-working men and plodding beasts of burden. In technical terms, the castle is being slighted, ruined so it's no use as a defensive fortification. Its destruction will neuter the power of the Bygoods in this part of eastern England for at least 10 years, maybe longer. And it's far from the only fortress being destroyed in this way. The year is 1174, and slighting is all the rage. King Henry has sent engineers like Olnoth to take down fortifications on 20 sites across England. But why does Henry want to destroy so many castles around the country? Well, the one thing they all have in common is that they're strongholds that belong to lords who chose the losing side in the Plantagenet Civil War of 1173-4. In general, Henry has so far been pretty nice to those who stood against him in the so-called War Without Love. There haven't been widespread executions or mutilations, no one is rotting in a dungeon and there aren't great forests of heads on spikes above the gates of English cities. But Henry wants to make absolutely sure of two things. First, he wants there to be some sort of retribution against the lords who should have known better than to oppose him. Second, and even more importantly, Henry wants to make sure there's a permanent scar left on the English landscape, a chilling reminder of what happens to those who sneer at royal authority. These ruined buildings will stand as monuments to his limitless power. According to the great knight William Marshall, decades later, you could wander through the Plantagenet Empire and still see slighted castles standing desolate and foreboding. So passes the glory of the world, Marshall laments. This is what happens when you think you're bigger than Henry Plantagenet. But now, Henry has to decide what to do with the most important rebels of all his own family. I'm Dan Jones, and from Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment, this is History, a dynasty to die for. Episode 13, Revenge. As we heard last episode, Old Henry won the war without love, hands down. He defeated virtually everyone who took up arms against him, captured a huge number of his enemies, including his own wife, and twice put the French King Louis and his sons to flight. In football terms, Americans, that's soccer, it was a 9-0 hammering. In baseball terms, it was, well, I don't follow baseball, so I've no idea, but whichever sporting analogy we go for, he annihilated his opponents. Yet once the war is over, in the summer of 1174, Henry knows things can never go back to normal. He has to punish the nobles who defied him, but not so severely that they rise up again. He has to come up with some way to accommodate his own rebellious teenage sons without seeming to reward them for rebelling. 
And he needs to make the toughest decision of all. What to do about his wife, Eleanor, who's currently his prisoner. Lot to think about, right? Even a stubborn and headstrong king like Henry can see that unless he weighs his options carefully, another civil war could be on the cards. And next time, he might not be so lucky. So he makes his peace with many of the rebels in a treaty sealed at Mont-Louis in the Loire Valley on the 30th of September 1174. On the surface, this is a deal that pretends the rebellion had never happened. Young Henry is confirmed in his puppet rule over England, Normandy and Anjou, though he has to accept that his father could give away parts of all of these to his youngest brother John as and when he feels like it. The deal is sweetened with a huge rise in young Henry's pocket money, an annual salary of £15,000. It's notoriously hard to convert medieval currency into modern pounds, euros or dollars, but trust me when I tell you that's baller money. It means young Henry can live like exactly what he is, the spoiled son of one of the world's richest and most powerful men. As we'll see next episode, he really leans into that role. Richard and Geoffrey both receive hefty raises too. Richard gets half the revenues of Aquitaine's richest county, Poitou, and Geoffrey gets half the revenues of Brittany. In Richard's case, though, there's a condition attached. Since he helped raise Aquitaine in rebellion against Plantagenet rule, and there's still some trouble down there, Henry packs him off with an army to sort it out. It's a bit like he's been caught graffitiing the bike sheds at school and the head teacher's making him stay behind to clean up his own mess. This is perfect parenting. Henry has recognised that, of all his boys, Richard's the most naturally gifted soldier. He wants to let him sharpen his teeth and learn a lesson at the same time. So far, so good. Henry's also surprisingly lenient towards the ordinary knights and lesser lords who joined the rebellion on both sides. So long as they hand back any land or castles they might have nicked during the war, there won't be any further action taken against them. He's somewhat harsher on the bigger cheeses he's captured. The earls of Leicester and Chester are given prison sentences of just over two years, as well as having several of their castles pulled down. King William the Lion of Scotland is released in December 1174, but only after he signs a separate treaty in which he agrees to do a humiliating public ceremony of homage. He has to swear that the English king is his overlord and that Scotland is theoretically part of the Plantagenet Empire. Henry doesn't have any real plans to conquer Scotland, but you never know when it might come in handy. Henry can look at his settlements after the war as a big success. Just like the war itself, he's come out on top, using decades of political experience and good judgement, backed up by just the right amount of headbanging. There's only one case that makes him lose his cool. His wife. Eleanor's betrayal is something he can't be dispassionate or strategic about. He doesn't just want to punish her, he wants to break her.
When Henry III chose his royal advisers, he ended up with some very untrustworthy power grabbers, which led to poor management decisions, rebellions, and at least one person in prison. Why didn't he use Indeed? Well, Indeed wasn't around back then, but it is today. Indeed is the ultimate hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and matching technology that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. When I was hiring, I didn't use Indeed either, and the process was very slow and stressful, so I wish I had. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Indeed.com slash Dynasty. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's full of people celebrating their successes, but if the Plantagenets have taught us anything, it's that failing is much more interesting. So that's why I'm certain you're going to love the podcast How to Fail. The very brilliant Elizabeth Day invites guests on to talk about three of their biggest failures and what they've taught them about life. It's a great way to hear a new side to people you may think you know. Guests include Bernie Sanders, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Stanley Tucci. Give it a try. Find How to Fail wherever you get your podcasts. Back in July 1174, at the height of the war, when Henry went to England to make that dramatic penance at Thomas Becket's shrine, he brought Eleanor with him. But she wasn't travelling as his queen. She was his prisoner. While Henry wrapped up the war and made his peace with Becket and God, Eleanor was dropped off in Salisbury, in the southwest of England. Now, as Henry consolidates his power in the aftermath of the war, Eleanor remains under house arrest. She's in a residence called Courtyard House. This is hardly the slammer. It's a modern building, and Salisbury is quite a well-to-do place. Eleanor knows the town very well, and has often stayed there when she's been in England. But the fact remains, this is in England, not Aquitaine. Eleanor had meant to see out her days in her own lands. Henry knows that the cruelest blow he can land on his wife is to take her back to the realm she thought she'd left forever, seven years earlier. Or at least that should have been the cruelest blow. But Henry doesn't stop there. He's still going strong on one of his favourite bad habits, sleeping with his baron's daughters. As well as continuing his fling with the famous beauty Rosamond Clifford, he's also taken up with Rosamond's cousin, Ida de Tony, and got her pregnant. Classy, right? And it gets worse. We don't know Ida's date of birth, but she's probably quite a young teenager when her child is born. What's more, Ida is a ward of the crown, meaning that she's formally under Henry's protection until she gets married. But none of that bothers Henry, who today would be me too harder than you can believe. But of course, this is the 12th century, not the 21st. So Henry not only gets away with it, he doubles down. In 1176, he tells Eleanor that, on the basis of her rebellion, rather than his rampant philandering with teenagers, they should get divorced. Henry suggests she might like to become the abbess of a nunnery. 
That would mean a life of reading, silence and prayer, about as far as you can get from the hurly-burly of Plantagenet politics or the romance and poetry of her homelands. Around the same time, he also lets her know that he's sending off their youngest daughter, Joan, to marry the King of Sicily. Joan has been in England since 1174 and may have spent quite a lot of time with Eleanor. Taken together, this looks like Henry is trying as hard as he can to torture Eleanor emotionally. But she withstands it. Although Joan is indeed packed off to Sicily, Eleanor points out that it's illegal under church rules to force one's wife to become a nun just because one is fed up with her and fancies a younger model. After Becket, the thing Henry really can't afford is another huge blow-up with the church. So Eleanor is spared that fate. But Henry continues his predatory behaviour. In 1176, Rosamond Clifford dies, and court rumours strongly suggest that Henry moves on to the King of France's 16-year-old daughter, Alice. Like Ida de Tony, Alice is in Henry's formal care. Unlike Ida, Alice is in Henry's court because she's supposed to be getting married to one of Henry's sons, Richard. Even in the Middle Ages, when attitudes to sex and gender relationships were very different from our times, copping off with your son's teenage fiancé was definitely not cool. But these rumours seem to have been pretty well-founded, and if they reached Eleanor in Salisbury, we can imagine her being sick to her stomach. I don't feel great about it myself, even hundreds of years later. Sadly, though, there's not much Eleanor can do about it. As the 1170s tick by, she remains in Salisbury, a prisoner of a king who has made it plain as day that he no longer wants her. The records are almost silent on what she does and whom she sees, let alone how she feels. But if there's one quality Eleanor never lacks, it's resilience. She sticks out her sentence as the years pass. In the early 1180s, she's granted a bit more freedom, moving around other towns in southern England, like Winchester and Windsor. In 1183, after she spent almost a decade under house arrest, Henry finally approves her moving around England more or less as she wishes. The following year, she's even allowed to go to France. What brings on this easing of restrictions? Does Henry have some radical revelation and decide to change his ways? Has Eleanor simply served her time? Well, not really. As usual with the Plantagenets, self-interest comes first. And in 1183, Henry faces a new set of problems from within the family and beyond. Once again, it all starts with his eldest son, Henry, the young king. To find out exactly what that idiot is up to, we'll need to take a step back and catch up on what's been going on with the Plantagenet princes while their mum is in prison. Because, as usual, they've been causing trouble for old Henry. And this time, things are spiralling way, way out of control. That's coming up on This Is History.
As always, if you're craving more Plantagenet drama, I've got you covered. Join me on This Is History Plus, where every Thursday I release an extra episode revealing the weird details, fun facts and fascinating subplots we don't have time for in the main story. And on top of that, as a subscriber, you'll get all our episodes ad-free. Just visit This Is History on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you're enjoying the show, please do give us a rating or a review. It's a great way to support us and help new people find the podcast.